This mega Manchester City preview episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. This episode is also brought to you by Moxie Miami South Beach Hotel, located in the heart of South Beach. If you're going to Miami, you should book your stay at Moxie. They are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid Podcast World Tour, which, by the way, has two stops left, Mumbai and Toronto. They're both in May. And if you want to book your spot, just go to the show notes and do it ASAP. Everything is filling up and prices go up after this week for both events. So, again, go to the show notes if you want to come to Mumbai or Toronto in May. And by the way, Moxie, and I'm speaking anecdotally here from experience, just being a Moxie guest, they get free coffee in the lobby from 6.30 a.m. to 10 a.m. Sitting there in that lobby with the amount of sunlight that comes in from the windows, the palm trees, the breeze, the pool right there, it is a spiritual experience. I would urge you all to go there. Stay at Moxie. Whether you're from Miami, you want to do a staycation, or you're traveling from outside, go to Moxie, book your stay, and have yourself a fantastic time. Coming up, a really, really fun conversation where myself, Kian Sobani, I'm joined by Jose Perez and Siddharth Ramsundar. We preview every single thing you need to know about the City game on Wednesday. Key matchups, injuries, squad health, <clears throat> X's and O's, and everything else. We go really deep, actually. It's a, it's a really fun conversation, and just sit back and enjoy it. Um, take your time with it. I think you'll you'll really get a lot out of it, and hopefully you'll uh, you'll take some optimism by the end of it. is uh, is my hunch, my guess. Uh, so enjoy the podcast, and let's get right to it. As always, we're set up here by Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there. Time's ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to a Monday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are a couple days removed from Real Madrid's 35th league title celebrations where Carlo Ancelotti was smoking a cigar and dancing with Vinicius on the bus and it was just a super fun, super good vibes night. But lo and behold, in two days, we can't get too ahead of ourselves with celebrations because we got to... Um, you know, put down the cigars, put down the alcohol, get some good sleep because the biggest game of the season is right around the corner. We're going to face Manchester City in a classic situation where Real Madrid need to go to the Bernabeu with a remontada um, needing to just be manifested. And you know the city of Madrid is going to be absolutely on fire and the streets are going to be packed all day. And it's just going to be a classic big European night at the Bernabeu. So to help me break it down, talk all the X's and O's and everything that needs to be adjusted for and prepared for against a Manchester City team who is obviously very good are Sid, Harth, Ramsundar, and Jose Perez. How are you guys doing? Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me again, Kian. I'm super excited to talk about this game. Um, 
one of the biggest games of the season, one of the game biggest games of this business end of the season in European football, Champions League semifinals. I'm always excited. Jose, you here to give us some optimism for Wednesday's game? Uh, this time, yeah. I mean, at this point, the main my main worry is mostly the center back pairing. But other than that, I mean, the team at least whatever tactical issues there are the team couldn't get get into this like in a better emotional state because in the end yeah the first leg was lost but one gets the impression that that we won it in a way and then you have the league win over the weekend so emotionally i think this team cannot come in better shape i mean they they put out the whole substitute squad over the weekend and they still played really well so it that's kind of the kind of mood that the whole squad is in yeah it's the morale right now is pretty good i mean this is uh this is not a situation where we're going in there defeated you know somebody just rinsed us or anything quite the opposite a lot of players who might be uh, important contributors off the bench on wednesday like for example danny ceballos had a fantastic game and those are just it's just good for the morale overall i think um where do you guys want to start? I know like Jose and I previewed the first leg. Sid, uh, join on that exact podcast, but not necessarily talk about Manchester City. Where is, um, where do you think like the focal point is? Like, let's, say, let's start with you, Jose. What has changed since previewing the first leg that you think would be important to address like right off the bat? What's the biggest difference? So let's see, what would be the biggest difference? Uh, that will be interesting because uh, what so I think what concerns me the most at least uh, from Real Madrid's side is just the whole defense just the whole defending part because uh, we can all we already saw that Real Madrid can take a lot of punches and then hit back so attack the attack even if the team like the good thing is that even if the team does not attack with continuity, even those isolated attacks, it has already shown that it can be very efficient at taking advantage of those isolated attacks. But the main issue is defense. I mean, the reality is that uh, Real Madrid got played out of the park uh, last week. And if and the reality is the team got saved from getting like six or seven scored against them. And let's just say that City might not misfire as much the uh, uh, this Wednesday. So if, so I would say that the defensive performance for sure cannot be repeated. Now, how to not repeat it is an interesting question. The, uh, what apparently the absence of Alaba looks more and more likely, and that's going to be a big issue. Uh, Militao doesn't seem to be in his best form, which makes it a lot more worrying because for this game, like the only, the main way I could see, uh, I could see this team preventing a lot of this city danger is if Militao has one of like has a big night. I think that that would be a thing that could really prevent city from creating as much danger as they did last night, last, last time. Uh, as far as, is there a defensive approach that can prevent that? That can prevent city from creating that many chances. <sighs> I don't know. I do think that what happened last week is similar to the worst case scenario you and I predicted that the team didn't press well, didn't defend deep well. They were in that middle zone where 
you didn't do either or the other well. Uh, I think the main objective, the main different, the main thing Real Madrid should do differently for for this week is at least do one of those two well, but not be stuck in that zone in which they did neither or the other thing well. High expectations, Jose. High expectations for a team that's never done that this season is to just pick one identity and stick with it. Oh, no, that's not necessarily true. But certainly, we were literally like, just please don't be the team that's halfway in between defense and offense. And a, a team that's neither pressing nor defending, do not be that team. And they were exactly that team. That team. <laughs> um, Sid, you were, before the podcast, you were optimistic. You wanted to speak a W into existence, and I'm here for that. But I just want you to talk talk us into it logically. What is it that maybe gives you some confidence? Is it just as simple as the magical European night at the Bernabeu where teams just get paralyzed and they don't know what to do even though they know what's happening? Like is, is, or is it something more tactically um, logical or something, something more reasonable than that? Well, let's start um, with the fact that there's a reason the Manchester City players were really pissed leaving the Etihad last week. They were really pissed. Guardiola, make no mistake, he was furious. Um, that was a per- terrible result given the performance. Um, to be honest, City really had a first leg performance that was kind of begging for a Bernabeu comeback. And I'm not saying it will happen because City are the far superior team. But there are a lot more factors playing into Madrid's favor than you'd realize. First off, um, you know, is Casemiro back this time? Is he back? Yeah, he's he back. Yes. Okay, so... The, the defense will be better, and that's not really a doubt in my mind, even with Nacho, because Alaba was injured, and Alaba got kind of... He was clearly not fully fit the first leg. I think Nacho is better than whatever Alaba we saw the first half against Man City. And then Casemiro, I understand City are going to pretty much plug the midfield with midfielders, and it's going to be a lot more about Militao. Um, but, you know, maybe Casemiro will make it so that Carval has half the number of difficult balls to deal with, or like two-thirds as many and maybe Carvajal doesn't concede two we don't if we concede one less goal from the right half space than we did in the first leg that'll be a big win and so I just think the little margins add up when you look at um the fact that Man City didn't have a celebratory weekend they have a big title race that's honestly seems to be draining them the longer it goes in the season and so from that standpoint I think we have a lot of momentum and yeah like it's so unlikely that we defend as poorly just with Casemiro and Nacho playing for off the bat in my opinion so yeah, and on the other hand, I think offensively, you know, the team, I actually um, was one of the few people who thought the approach wasn't all bad in the first leg because I thought we chose to um, play. We for- invited them to press, and let's be honest, like, when I watch games and my team is being pressed, it looks scary when Man City are all over your players. But when you're a defensive team pressing, you only have so much bandwidth you can afford to do that in a game. Like, even as great as Man City are, I think that's what really unfurled them towards the game. It's like they kept creating chances when they put effort in. We kept inviting them to press and the game was going well. And then all of a sudden it's end to end because, you know, they just keep thinking they can beat us. We almost invite complacency. And I just think overall by making them press in the first 20, 30 minutes when they dominated and playing through Cruz, I think we wore them down a little. And I think mentally, you know, physically, once you start losing energy, you don't execute precisely at the mental level that you would normally. So... Yeah, I think if we're brave with the same personnel, um, we have a chance. Well, the the personnel is also very interesting. I mean, the, the Casemiro double-edged sword of he's going to help you so much, you know, tracking those runners in the box that, you know, the first leg, it was just free reign for City. The question will be with him is, 
if you look back at Real Madrid's Champions League exits against Ajax and City, and, I, and I've been a broken record about this, I'm just annoying myself with it, but Ajax, Manchester City, and Chelsea the last three years before this one, Casemiro was really struggling on the ball with those high-pressing teams. And the question is always going to be, how is he going to cope? You, you just know City are going to hunt him. And every time they lose the ball, and every time Casemiro finds himself with the ball at his feet, and it's one thing to say, like, okay, maybe you can cope with that with putting Cruz deeper during the build-up phase, but I don't even think you're going to have opportunities to switch on the fly like that because City are going to counter-press. And so it's easier said than done. So there's definitely going to be moments... I, I think it's a realistic prediction to say he's going to have he's going to be tested on the ball. Um, but Jose, in terms of adjustments, you and I were discussing. I, I remember asking you before the first leg, what do you think is the best approach to City? Um, and we we spoke we we spoke about how City have faced against you know a couple different kinds of schemes before in the past. If you look at Ram just adjustments for second legs specifically in the run to get here this season. Uh, against PSG, they came out more aggressive. They brought out a higher line. Mbappe carved us. Yeah, you people. We from the PSG second leg, we remember Alaba celebrating with the chair. We remember Benzema going into supernova mode. But we got to remember the first seventy minutes was absolutely horrendous, and it was yep. just Mbappe getting the ball behind Carvajal over and over again. So we were more aggressive because we we felt like we had to chase the game. We were down one 0 in aggregate. Against Chelsea, we took the different approach because we were up on aggregate. We went into a defensive shell and we, we made Chelsea really comfortable before realizing, oh shit, we're about to get knocked out. Maybe we should start playing football. What's the approach here? You're down on aggregate. Defensively, you're really struggling. 90 minutes is a lot of time to score at least one goal that you need to take it into extra time. What's the approach? What? How, 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 should, we, how should we approach this? Yes. So to talk a bit about that. So one thing I'd like to mention that I think compared to previous times that Real Madrid got out pressed, like looking at uh, the City tie two years ago, IX tie, I think in those situations, a big problem was that the team did not have, did not really have a way to consistently punish the high line of their opponents. And the big difference is that now, even if Real Madrid gets out pressed, they will put, it's not that they can't punish high lines, they will punish high lines with Vinicius and Benzema in their current state. And that's that's one of the biggest things. It means that even if the team gets outpressed, they will punish uh, on the counter. Now, uh, as far as approach, I am still... Uh, so I think that for this one, considering that the team is behind, I think that rules out like a deep block approach, like the one that was used, say, first leg versus PSG. Like the team is not going to set up uh, in a deep block uh, and counter approach. Uh, so I think there's a good chance that given that, given the morality of the team, uh, Ancelotti is going to try to go for the press again. And this is where I think personnel is vital. I am still, I was an advocate of that, of this for the first leg. I still advocate this for the second leg. I still think it's better to start Valverde as the right winger and take advantage of that for pressing, because in the end, we what 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 we want is that is the team to really go forward, press, try to create chances out of that. Before I would still advocate for that, and then bringing Rodrigo uh, as an impact substitute in the second half. And I, I still think uh, that's a good approach. That's a good approach to use. Second half, you can always bring in Camavinga and Rodrigo for extra oomph and 
try and really try to get get that result. So I would still advocate for that, especially if the team chooses to press, because I think the personnel selection last time did have did have uh, a bit of that issue that uh, say with Rodrigo up front, like it's not the same defensive work rate as say Fede would put at the right wing. And I think that's that that will be kind of a necessary adjustment if Real Madrid want to press, really want to press and dominate a bit more than they did. I was that was the question I was going to ask you and you and you obviously touched on it. Um, Sid, in terms of Fede and Rodrigo, do you agree? I'm actually like to me, I'm I'm absolutely fine with what Jose said. I'd be fine the other way too if Rodrigo started. I, I kind of have faith in both at that point. I'm wondering, do you have a particular preference with that? I like the Valverde pick. I think um, my thing is I think Valverde has to play. Like there's no doubt Valverde has to play. Uh, it became clear after the second leg against PSG that he had reached a new level as a football player. I think um, in these games, especially, we're starting to see him more consistently carry the ball forward, put in defensive work, end up in good situations, win 50-50s. And um, so I, I would agree with that. My thing is, it's not so much about um, who we start for me as much as do we have fresh legs off the bench and is the way we start aggressive enough to make it so that when we reach the last half hour, City are cooked. And I think that's very essential. I think the way we're going to win is if by getting City cooked or, you know, football can always happen. Maybe... You know, Benzema scores like a volley from the 40, from the halfway line or something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in, I wouldn't rule that in. out. Maybe Ederson. I'm like, in for just 90 minutes of shit and then Benzema just pulls something out of his ass. I'm, I'll sign up for it. I'll take and it. I think, I think they're acutely aware that the chaos is, I think the players are acutely aware. I think the coach actually, more than anything, I think the coach is aware. This is where, you know, I will say Ancelotti has something that is like, you know, I think, Football, I think we have a tendency to box coaches and players into specific archetypes that can or cannot succeed. And really, that's such a... When you look at how the game is played and how hard it is to finish, you have to account for the fact that there are so many different ways you can win a game. And Ancelotti, I think, is really intelligent in this regard. And I've always noticed this. His ability to coach an offense to take advantage of transitions has been impressive to me throughout his career, honestly. And especially when he's been at Real Madrid, the way we played his first spell with Luke, I think he unlocked Luka Modric a lot in transition. Um, you guys remember the classical goal we scored um, April 2015, the counterattacking goal um, at the camp now. And we lost that game, but our, we scored an incredible goal that was just beautiful football, transition football. The players never looked rushed. It wasn't like Mourinho ping it long. It was just smart technical players seeing space and taking advantage of it. And I think Ancelotti... You know, he understands what it takes to score enough to go through. So um, I hope he can make the right substitution decisions. And I hope we have enough um, oomph in the midfield, which is why I agree with Jose about Valverde. Um, we need enough oomph in the midfield at all times. If we're playing Tony Cruz especially, it's really hard to play against Manchester City or even top opposi opposition in Ancelotti's system with Tony Cruz, Casemiro, and Modric, in my opinion, alone in midfield. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. I mean, this Carlos subs have been on point for a few months now, I, I think. I mean, if there are outliers, I can't really remember. But I, I think the subs have been pretty on point for the last few months, which is a good sign. Um, we can talk about also City's health right now, the statuses of certain players going to that. I think that will lead us into some key matchups. Um, one thing that was interesting against Leeds, where Manchester City just went in there and waxed them, and we were talking about Real Madrid with morale and winning the league title. I mean, they had a pretty convincing and important victory 
against Leeds 4-0 on the weekend. One thing that was interesting to me was that Cancelo on the right, which, you know, makes sense given that Walker is out. And, but, but one thing that was interesting is that they went with Nathan Ake on the left and not Zinchenko, who I thought had a good game against us. I don't know if that means anything for us necessarily on Wednesday, if that was a matter of rest or rotation, um, or if maybe Guardiola will, will go with, um, with Ake. It's interesting kind of gauging what City fans feel about that. City fans... Not all of them, but a good chunk of them feel like Ake is actually a better choice. But there is this weird Zinchenko. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, that he actually <clears throat> plays better in Champions League semifinals than he does for the majority of the season. Um, this is apparently a thing that City fans have told me. I haven't really done a deep dive on it. But it is interesting to see what happens there, which leads us into the discussion. And obviously, I'm saying this because Walker likely will not play. And if, even if he makes it, I don't think they're going to rush him back to start when they have Cancelo there. What does that mean for Vinicius? <coughs> yeah, so the first thing uh, that I think about, so at first I thought, okay, considering how Sinchenko did, he's definitely going to start, but thinking about it a bit more. Um, last time, what happened is that uh, he was playing, at, uh, Pep was playing at first stones there, so you had this kind of more conservative right back, which allowed Sinchenko to go forward more. So it was a bit asymmetric. So Sinchenko was the one going forward. Stone stayed a bit back. Uh, this time, since you have Cancelo at right back, that's where I guess Pep will have to do a decision of how aggressive he wants both fullbacks to be. Uh, of course, does he, want, does he want both Cancelo and Sinchenko to be there and take aggressive roles? Or... Um, like there are a few options there. Maybe he still keeps Cancelo there, there, but instead of sending Cancelo like aggressively forward, he just keeps it as an inside fullback. He keeps it uh, further back as kind of a deep playmaker, which is a role Cancelo can do, uh, can do really well. Or maybe Pep decides uh, to do something else and say, uh, have uh, have Cancelo go forward. He puts Ake as left uh, as left back, and that gives Cancelo more liber more freedom to to go forward. If I had to make a guess, uh, I think it could. I think Real Madrid's left side is a bit harder to attack. Vinicius has good road work rate, and then of course you have to deal with Mendy. Uh, it makes it. I think it makes it more complicated. Uh, just from what happened last time. I think Pep will still be confident about the fact that Real Madrid's right side is the weaker spot. Uh, so I think there's good reason to do something more like, okay, have Cancelo and Sinchenko and, and have Sinchenko do similar runs to what he was doing uh, last time. Just keep Cancelo a bit more conservative and a bit more and a bit deeper. And we, and there you even get, you even gain the advantage of someone who can spray really nice passes uh from uh, uh, really nice passes from the back. So I, that's an approach I can see happening a lot uh, in that case. And then the other thing that will be an interesting question will be whether Pep keeps the front, uh, four, uh, the front four of last time or not. So I'll let Sid take that one. Yeah, personnel-wise, I'm not going to bother guessing <laughs> just because Guardiola <laughs> sees so much in the game that I probably don't. And... He's going to, I think ultimately we know he's going to attack our right half space. Um, 
And, you know, I hope we just, I just hope we don't concede too many goals from there. That's really, I think the most concerning tactical point. Cause um, if I'm not wrong, like we've conceded goals in every tie, con- right? Constantly from the Carvajal Militao area. Yep. Yeah. So uh, to me, it makes total sense that they'd want to advance Zinchenko on even beyond Vinicius. When I think about it, you want to advance Zinchenko just to like destroy our right side. Like it's so, it's so pathetic sometimes, but you know, if Carvajal, Paul, it's going to come down to how well we can plug that right half space. Zinchenko should get up. Cancelo, um, I think he'll be a factor. I am not as... I think it's a big deal that he's back. Um, but as far as transition defense specifically goes, Kyle Walker is more important for that, in my opinion. Specifically when it comes to sprinting from ridiculous positions with your speed and just cutting out attacks because you're fast. Kyle Walker does that a lot more. And Cancelo, I think, will be more useful for City offensively. He'll be a good outlet for them. Fernandinho and Stones were good. But I saw a lot of praise for Fernandinho especially, and I thought, you know, he played some smart passes, but ultimately that's just City's system. You're going to have so many opportunities with the way you're coached. I think Cancelo will be an upgrade for them offensively, though. Yeah, it's um, it, you, you mentioned the half spaces and the goals we can see. It's crazy the amount of good individual defensive people that we have that just... Even with them, the systemic collapses. Like you, you even look at the goals that Chelsea has scored, for example, against us. It was like Fede Valverde, who's such a good two-way engine, just getting lost in the sequence. Or Kamavinga, who's such a great tackler, uh, maybe not in the right zone. He he should be our tracking the right run. Carvajal and Militao getting carved, usually through a gamble of some sorts. On the opposite side, you know, and watching City play even outside of the Real Madrid game is so they do so much damage in both half spaces that like regardless of who's on the field they'll make those runs they'll make those passes to those runs and the mendy the mendy half space you know that's, that's another one that, that kind of leads me to another key matchup <clears throat> and by the way i agree that like from a pure defensive tracking purpose walker is is someone that is more reliable i think Cancelo is obviously like a, a pretty good one-on-one defender i think if you're going to exploit him it's a matter of like maybe he's out of position or something and maybe he's attacking or something um, so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But another thing is that we need a better version of Furlan Mendy because to me, I, I don't. it didn't look like he was healthy. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just making an excuse for him, but we've seen him be rushed back a couple times a season now in that first game back. It usually just happens to be a big game and he doesn't look right. He's not the same defensive force he usually is. And so I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm hoping now that, you know, he's had like a week or two. What It's been a week, actually. A week of, you know, he's back. Hopefully that gives him some defensive solidity because I think he'll need it. Will need it. Uh, and the other one, as you guys already mentioned, we need a better version of Militao. Like, we just can't. We can't. We can't let that happen again. Um, just whatever he was doing in that game. Whatever he has been doing in the last month or so. And, uh, you know, I, I guess one silver lining is that, not that, you know, there is one when Alaba's injured, but Militao and Nacho last season put in a good performance, put in multiple good performances together as the pairing when Ramos and Varane were, were injured. But, you know, those are some of the things. But in terms of matchups, are, is there, are there any other aspects of the field that interest you that we haven't touched on? Maybe we can start with you, Jose. Yes. Uh so one thing, oh, well, just to add also on the Mendy part, like like we also remember that on that left side, I mean, one of the goals came from that Fernandinho cross into the box from that side. So yeah, there's still danger that can happen there. I mean, 
when Reese James in the Chelsea tie was crossing from that side, it was so it created also very dangerous chances. Like right now, Real Madrid's defense of the box is at such a level that yes, if you have a good crosser in your side, whatever side that cross comes in, it will be dangerous unless uh, Militao decides to go God mode and clear everything in his path. Uh, of course, like getting a performance like that for Militao would really solve a lot of issues, but that's kind of, that's kind of up to chance. So we don't know we don't know that one. So matchups that maybe we haven't covered uh, that interest me. So I think what I find most interesting is uh, what setup, like again, we cannot really guess. Uh, what setup will, uh, like what lineup, what personnel will Pep end up using up front. But I think it will be, it, it will likely be different from what we saw in the first play. There might be one or like a change of personnel or something like that. And I think about this because one possibility, uh, I, I think a big thing to look out is uh, whoever City's left winger is, Against against Carvajal and going inside that space uh, between Carvajal and Militao. So last time it was Foden, and I think the role was very interesting there. It was a bit different from what I expected because what happened there was that a lot of the time Foden stayed really, really out wide, trying to attract Carvajal to that side and open a massive gap where Sinchenko or Kevin De Bruyne could go into it. So that's how he dealt it. That's how Pep did a lot of that in the first leg. So I am curious to see if he's going to do that in this case or switch to another approach. Because uh, I think that the gaps in this game are going to be, are not going to be as big as they were in the first leg simply because of Casemiro. Like Casemiro can take care of a lot of that. So if maybe they don't have such gigantic gaps, then maybe Pep might think of another approach. The thing that I keep thinking about is that Maybe he could surprise us by putting someone like Sterling and use his one versus one versus Carvajal, which could be which could be advantageous. So uh, that's a possibility uh, of a change that I could see. Try to exploit Carvajal's one versus one weakness uh, a bit more. And I think that's the that's the main duel that I can think about as far as midfield. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, just what zones. I think an interesting setup will be just seeing what happens with Kevin De Bruyne and, and Foden and Bernardo Silva now that Casemiro is there. Uh, what's going to happen with them in the Casemiro zone? How is Casemiro going to deal with that? Um, it's going to be very complicated even with Casemiro because in the end with those three, you never know who's going to make the run. You never know who's going to try to be in that space. So even so, you could end up with a situation where just Casemiro is completely overloaded because you don't know who to track uh, in those situations. So that's like those three in the Casemiro zone is an area that concerns me a lot. Of course, Casemiro can handle it better than everyone else. Uh, it's much better than having Gross run after all of these people, but uh, that's still a danger, and it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I actually agree that um, the midfield matchup is what I was thinking. I think it's interesting. We can't forecast it, but we know that there are matchups that will cause problems for Madrid, and there are certain matchups where, you know, if Casemiro and Fede play together, it might be more advantageous for Madrid, and maybe Bernardo, Foden, and De Bruyne have less influence. So... I am curious to see when they start off, essentially, is um, if they start off. If I, I just want to see who wins the chess match, honestly. I don't know who's going to win it at first. I think both teams 
I think it's in City's favor to try and slow the game down. But again, I don't think Madrid will allow that with Casemiro and Fede. So it'll be just interesting to see if the midfield matchup tilts towards City allow, having control and dominating, um, City having control and maybe not dominating, or which I don't think will happen again because of the press, or maybe Madrid pressing and creating a lot of chaos. So those are like the three different major game states I can see. If Madrid can maximize the amount of time City are playing it around without being able to play through the press, and the amount of time City think they can quickly play through the press, they can win, in my opinion. I think that's the real key. Make it, um, it has to be a game where the players start giving, like we have to force City to stop like playing the way they're programmed to, essentially. Um, I think that's just really important because, you know, the way they're programmed is obviously to play it around us, hit the half spaces, cross it, and just cook us. But, um, you know, if you keep giving them opportunities to play it in transition, show them some spaces, It'll be important. I thought actually John Muller's article was really good at, from The Athletic. He talked about how Real Madrid forced Manchester City to play like Real Madrid almost and how we invite chaos. Reality is on a football pitch, I think, is such an interest. I'm fascinated that so many years into being a football fan, I'm fully seeing it for what it is. But even when Zidane was in charge, I always felt by the lack of intention to play in transition always turned games into these possession fests where either we had the ball and we, the other opposition were boxed in or we, you know, the other opposition pressed us and we couldn't play it out. And, you know, I really like how this team embraces transitions. And the reality is it doesn't matter what you do in practice. As a football player, you get the ball, you look up, you see your winger running and you see the fullback like of the opposition not catching him. Your first instinct is to just play it into space. You're not, not to like to play 15 passes and keep it in build up like Guardiola would prefer in a Champions League timing. And you know, it's just going to be, I'm just curious to see how much the game oscillates between Manchester City's preference and whether our, you know, initial preference can lean it towards the chaos. There's there's so many great points in everything you both, you guys both said. Um, I did want to mention, I'm glad, Jose, you brought up the Foden thing and the width because I think City, I mean, they, they use their width so well. Their ability to just drag defenders around the field to their liking is incredible. And that kind of maybe goes back a little bit to what Sid was saying about the 15 passes, but they can go from side to side. And by the end of it, you just, you, you all of a sudden see a bunch of defenders out of position They're They've, they've lost their markers and you kind of saw also the way that I don't, I don't remember if it was the first or second goal. Uh, you know, I, my memory from the first 20 minutes of that game was, I just want to forget it, but I don't remember if it was the first or second goal, but Militao somehow ends up, I think marking Foden on the right side. And he's dragged like all the way to the corner flag and Carvajal is kind of in the middle, but he's not really covering for Militao. There's going to be situations like that. Um, but I, I did, I'm glad you brought up the chaos factor too, Sid, because as much as we think it's an intangible, or I, I do, but uh, I really actually believe in it. And it's hard for me to measure, but I think... And actually, spoke about it after the game. He literally said... We want we. I don't think he. I don't remember if he used the word chaos, but he's you know he's what he said was we want an open game, and uh, the more open the better. And it's like and City don't really want to play that way because then they kind of lose control. Then you start that when you get open, it starts to become a lot of variability and maybe things are out of your control and more individual brilliance can come into a play when it's open, right? Things like what Vinicius did to Fernandinho. That's that's the chaos and open game stuff. I think that that Real Madrid can thrive on. That City maybe don't want to get into. Um, the there's a couple things for me that would be important if you want to make it as open as possible and chaotic as possible. 
I just knowing how these things go based on watching this team play for like 30 years or so, whatever it is, uh, there, I would almost with, with complete assurance predict that in the first 10 minutes, I think Rams are going to try to be aggressive because it just naturally happens. The crowd is going crazy. There's going to be an electric atmosphere. You just know that they're going to, if, if city going to kick off with the ball, I can already see Benzema running up the field. They're all kind of marshalling in this, this press. If they can get something from that initial wave, I think that's huge. The other thing is that if they want an open game, they have to be press resistant. There's no other way about it. Like that goal that I think it was Gabriel Jesus scored against us, it came off the back of a Mendy terrible pass. And no one is in position to, to like Carvajal left Foden. Carvajal got a lot of shtick for that. But like, if you look at that goal, what is he supposed to do? He's in the build-up phase, up the field, because Real Madrid have the ball and they're attacking. Mendy gives it away. There's no way he can recover, and no one's in position to recover. You have to get that ball past City's initial press to get as many transition opportunities as you can. Because if you don't, if you don't, if you give it away the way you have been, like those first two, three passes, and it's a huge swing because City is going to come back full force. And you've lost the transition opportunity and you're out of position. So that initial like one or two passes out of the counter press is going to be really key for me uh, if they want an open game. If they can do it, then it's going to be, I think, a game changer to beat this team. If, if not, it's going to be really hard. Um, I, I think all three of us, were, uh, we don't really have much of a life and we, we don't have much to do today. So we don't have time restrictions. So normally I, I'd be like, okay, we've got to wrap it up here. But if there's anything we missed, let let me know. We can we can we can explore it. We can unpack it. And if not, no pressure. Um, just to add to what you said, yeah, it's even those one two passes. First twenty minutes, it might not work. All right, we might not. We might be a step too slow to everything. But you just got to wear them out enough so that when you are there, and and also don't go too far behind when they're when they're. Now, I think the first twenty minutes will be bad in my opinion, just because a team this well drilled even with the amount of physical stress they have at this stage of the season where they have to win every game to win every competition because of Liverpool. Um, I think they'll be very sharp to start the game off. And I will say this though, uh, if we do create an open game, the reality is, I think if we're being fully honest, Manchester City need more chances to score the same goals than we do, to be honest. Uh, there's no need to pretend that point. expected goals applies. Like, you know, Benzema can finish a chance that half these city players, like they don't have the finishes that he does in his locker right now. Um, Vinicius can, you know, makes he can just fly past you in ways that the Man City guys, one thing that's actually what stood out to me in the first leg, how they created chances and transitions, but they're they're midfielders, some of them are not that fast. Like Foden, I remember like some of the chances they got in the end of, like if they were traditional wingers, maybe more like Sterling who got on the end of it, they might have been faster. But like when you play so many midfielders, they're not always the quickest. So I just think in terms of finishing, you know, and um, it's a really reasonable strategy to want an open game, I think. Um, yeah. And I just can't believe I'm saying this, you know, it's just like a, such a unique way to try and win a game of football, but this team merits it. And I think that's what's beautiful about this team, their significance and how um, I just think it speaks to how every team is different and unique and every player has different strengths and weaknesses, even at different stages of his career. And it's all about catering to those. I think this team is really like, exemplifies that and Ancelotti you know we used to I think he had, he won a league title in every different country and obviously he could have won many more if he was a little more tactically astute in some ways but I also think 
I don't know if he would have gotten all these jobs in all these different countries at all these different stages of his, um, you know, at all these different super clubs if he was so rigid. And, you know, if Real Madrid win, and if they go on to win the Champions League, I just think it would be a pretty big deal for as far as what we consider sustainable and unsustainable success. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. And yeah, like emphasizing what we said about the chaos in the open game, like ultimately the thing is that right now Real Madrid have Thibaut on one end, Vinicius and Benzema on the other end. Like it's clear that if both of it, that if the game turns into back and forth punching, Real Madrid can punch harder in these situations. Uh, so that's why it's beneficial. Uh, it's beneficial for the team to have uh, to have a more open game. The question is, of course, it's going to be like the the big thing is that if the team defends as badly as it did last time, yeah, then the punching match can get a bit complicated because it means that City gets to punch you a lot. Uh, so it's a matter. It's a bit like it's what Sid said. It's like. Those like four goals that we got scored is like okay can can those goals that came in from the right half space yeah get like one or two one or two less of those and then and then at that point I think Real Madrid are set but that's that's really gonna be the difference uh, and I think uh, Sid is also right in that Casemiro could be that difference between conceding those goals so that so that could be a factor and we'll see what the teams I'm curious to see if Ancelotti will do any adjustments to how the team plays with the ball. Like I remember like last season when Zidane had this very nice plan of like against Liverpool, like just a very shameless, like just target Vinicius, just target Vinicius on that side and, and massacre them there. Uh, it was a simple thing to do with the ball. And I do. And I think if Ancelotti could have something similar, that that would also be useful as in just have like a more, uh, like a more clear long ball strategy because I think that right now the team doesn't have that clear of an idea of what they should do when press, which is what I find a bit concerning. I, it's it's interesting always to see how, uh, like I we people always said that Zidane was not that much of a tactician, but after, like now seeing the comparison with Ancelotti, it's quite interesting to see that he actually had very clear instructions on how he wanted the team to play out from the back. And Ancelotti actually gives a lot fewer instructions in that regard. I find it quite interesting. Yeah, we see that by the team's lack of control. Sorry, Keon, you can go ahead. No, not at all. I mean, I mean just, it's the, it's that lack of structure that is problematic though, I think. And, you know, as I think it's correct to say that this like, a more chaotic open game benefits Real Madrid because, you know, when you're when you're that open and and Ram just score one or two goals and as you guys said you know we need maybe lower xg chart to score the same amount of goals than city do i think that's also a correct assessment plus like the burnabout going crazy on top of the chaos it's like extra people punching you down from the stands it's, i think from from all accounts what opposing players have said that that's what it feels like almost um but also it's just funny to have this conversation because we're we're also talking about Manchester city we're not talking about elche like we're not talking about an open game against Elche. We're talking about literally one of the most devastating transition attacking teams in the world. Uh, and also just the thought of, like, if they get Erling Haaland to, like, mass this big weakness of, like, not having the striker who just mercilessly scores the goals, it's going to be a devastating team next season. Um, I mean, I guess that's for a different day. But also, 
open game is is fine and uh you know man that first leg was it's not just that it was 4-3 it's it was like literally the whole game was entertaining <laughs> like it was like a basketball game and like so regardless of what happens i think the second leg is just going to be a it's going to be another basketball game which i think at that point you're like okay well who can who can who can finish the most chances but i also think like chaos you want the chaos offensively and not defensively and so to jose's point the unstructured pressing i think that is the kind of chaos you don't want the kind of chaos you do want is the you know when Vinicius can put Fernandinho on his ass, you know, that's the kind of chaos you want. I think the defense still does worry me, but, you know, I don't know, man, like, just relying on them not to score their chances is a little bit of a scary proposition to me. Um, I don't know if my heart's ready for that. I agree. Our hearts are probably not ready for that. And yeah, I mentioned also, like, the build-up phase instructions, because I don't think Ancelotti needs anything complex, just a very clear instruction of, like, boot it to Vinicius, would already be useful because it's not like it's not the team right now does not need any kind of intricate buildup. It's just have a clear idea of like when they press you, do this, like send the send it long to Vinicius and then and, and complete then the pass. Yeah. That yeah. that would already play like just a simple instruction like that would help make the game as chaotic as Real Madrid should, would want it to. I actually think at some point in the first leg, they figured it out. If you remember the first two goals, it was Man City passing it around and the team defending in a block. And then they slowly started, I believe, by the some, somewhere between the second goal and 2-1. Um, at some point, um, the game just became chaotic, in my opinion. And yeah. from there, City just never really got a handle on it. I think yeah. this game, it'll be similar. I think, um, I think they'll go out with a concerted instruction. If you see the ball, just boot it and go press like crazy in the opening half hour. And I think that will happen. Um, I think a good blueprint to look for, and it's so funny how much, the, the reason I've really come to understand why this Real Madrid team is dangerous, scary, and Man City will have to play with full respect. You know, the reason they were angry last week, even though they created like seven goals worth of chances, is because um, playing a team with a great forward and a you know, great goalkeeper is just hard. And I learned this the hard way in 2019 when um, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool played um, Ernesto Valverde's Barcelona in the semifinals. And I remember pretty much everything about that matchup going into it. I was thinking Liverpool better win this. Liverpool have to win this. Like Liverpool are better. You know, that's all I was seeing. They expect the goals, they're pressing everything. And then the first leg, Barcelona win 3 0 at the camp now. Why? Because Macron, Ter Stegen saved their chances. And then on the other end, Messi and Suarez were perfect. So that's the blueprint. And you know, I think that's why it's so promising that we don't have to go to the Etihad again. And on top of that, I think, um, if I'm not wrong, I think I just feel like this has been a very special season for Real Madrid, even among Real Madrid history, just because Benzema is having one of the best seasons I've ever seen for any player, honestly, just with his overall level of play. Um, just because it's very rare for a player to have the out-of-box skill he had already and combine it with 50 goals, you know, or 45 goals in a season. And so I think, um, the I, actually, if I remember... I remember, I don't know how often it happens, but there are just some nights where the burnabout, the fans, they crowd around the stadium more. The bus is a little more like packed with fans coming in and, you know, the bus, they see more fans. And then the away team also sees those same fans. So I think psychologically and emotionally, this is a really charged night um, for the team. They're really charged up. You know, the, the league title has confidence. And, you know, Kian, you mentioned that uh, Man City are going to look good with Haaland. We're going to be a totally different proposition next season too. <laughs> um, 
imagine all this, yeah. but you have to deal with the menace going down your right wing along with Vinicius and Benzema. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and one thing that I find interesting about this season is just Sidan, uh, like Sidan is, yes, is more of a system coach compared to Ancelotti. But the interesting thing is that he's also a more conservative coach. Like it was like it was a team that built out from the back and defended better than this Ancelotti team. Uh, but in a way, like, yes, it was good, but a bit like, say, Tuchel's Chelsea, it got a bit boring at times. Um, and the interesting thing about this Ancelotti team is that, yes, I think in several phases of the game, it's a weaker team that Zidane's Real Madrid but I cannot deny that this year I've had more fun uh, than I've had in those than, than what I had in those last two Sidan seasons, simply because, yeah, Ancelotti in this case just decided to let them lose. And, and I think that does help, like from the perspective, like psychologically, the morale, like psychologically, morale, even, even with the fans, I think that approach, uh, helps in general boost the team like at some point i think even ancelotti made uh uh made a statement this season about catering to the fans with his lineup choices and i think a lot of us was like what the hell are you thinking man like why are you thinking this and now you start and, and like after all this you start seeing the value of of that proposition i find it so interesting and that's what i was saying earlier about how the season like the longer I go in football, the more I realize don't try and box in coaches, players, philosophies too much because it's all about your individual context. And, you know, this season, exactly. This team is worse in several phases of the game, but they are more in many ways they've been able to win more effectively. And I think it just speaks to, that's why I called it, uh, I joked in the first leg that this is pretty much Benzema versus Guardiola. And I think it speaks to two big tensions in football. Um, one the tension between a coach's desire to control games and a player's ability to instinctually impact games. Um, there's always that tension. And two, the tension between, you know, when you play a high line, you're always vulnerable to transitions. And on the other hand, if you're organized, um, you may build up better, but you might you won't be able to take advantage of transitions. So those two tensions mean football will always be this dynamic game with an interplay of philosophies. And I just think this season really speaks to that as well. I agree. I think that's really the beauty of the first leg for me, that Man City, it was all on display. It totally lived up to the hype of, you know, what we were expecting to see. An amalgamation of philosophies, tactics, instincts, and just, you know, beautiful football. We, we had this discussion before the season started because <clears throat> last season, we had sat through so many low goal games that the post-game podcasts were just like, oh, it's like this boring thing we have to do. We have to talk about a Real Madrid 1-0 win, which was fine. But I remember when we hired Ancelotti in, in the initial press conference, he's talking about we need to press more. We need to do this. We need to win the ball at the pitch. And uh, I remember Matt and I were having a conversation before the season starts. Like, you know what? Let's just... The prediction was more goals scored, more goals conceded. And because we had just come off months of no goals for anyone, we were like, let's do it. Let's have fun podcasts again. Let's have fun games again. And it was. And that's exactly what happened. If we were looking back at the results at the beginning of the season, 4-1 away to Alaves, 3-3 away to Levante, 5-2 over Celta, um, 6-1 over Mallorca. And then it kind of just lulled a little bit. And then it was the Shakhtar Donetsk game away from home where Ancelotti all of a sudden just 180'd it, 
one into a low block and won that game 5-0 through just pure counterattacks. And that was like the <clears throat> that was against Deserby, right? <clears throat> and Deserby was saying like we did not expect that. We did not plan for a low block. We thought we were going to press them high up the pitch, but we couldn't and um or 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 defend rather and blitz them on the counter, we couldn't. And then it kind of just got boring again. And we kind of sat through boring games again and now we're I, I I personally I I'm of the belief whatever works works we win that's the most important thing but as a fan you know I do enjoy the excitement of this you know chaos nonsense whatever it's called it's uh it's more fun obviously and and yeah so I agree with with Jose about that um said you said something there at the end oh I can't I wanted to touch on I can't remember what were you saying um was it about um how <clears throat> Either it was about how you can't put this team into a box or about how, imagine playing this team, but with the, the, like one of the best players in the world also on the right wing. Uh, which one? It was definitely neither of those, but okay. <laughs> there was, no, was it about thing. like the tension between like uh, individual oh. brilliance and coaching or. And then high line and transition as well. Or, yeah. or deep block. Yeah. Like just the overall tension between structure and instinct in the game. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I, I don't I don't know if it was exactly that, but that just made me think of something else. I mean, you guys have been speaking about Ancelotti and the difference between him and Zidane, and and maybe not having so much direction. And you know, Ancelotti has said in press conferences in the past that I think someone asked him about like whether Modric should do this or this. It was it was a press conference earlier this season, and and Ancelotti was like, "Who am I to tell Modric what to do? Like, it's Luka Modric, you know? I don't like." And it seems like such a simple thing that like, okay, well, why is he saying that he's the coach? But like, there's no better uh, quote in the history of football to me that encompasses and, and exemplifies what we mean by saying like giving your players freedom um, and not. There's literally a quote from Rafa Benitez where he says, Modric should not use the outside of his boot. It's an inefficient pass. And it's like, and Ancelotti would would never say that, you know. And obviously, more you know, it's it, this. So this, now we can get a little bit weird with this. But I remember um, LeBron James talking about this, and and as a Raptors fan, I, I'm very traumatized by LeBron James. But there, during one of the years where Cleveland was just decimating us and sweeping us, and everyone was calling us LeBronto when he was with Cleveland, and um, he was like giving up easy layups for just like these one-footed fadeaways heavily contested because he could and he would just destroy our morale with those and someone asked him after the game uh why are you taking those shots two points is two points why don't you just go in for the easy basket and he goes two points is not two points two points is not two points and what he meant by that is like there's another way you can score that just completely demoralizes your opponent you know, it's the equivalent of the, 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 the fuck you three, where it's like you shoot from the logo instead of going in closer because that can just break a team's back. And I think it's kind of like that too. When you like, when Modric like looks up and he plays the most difficult pass on the table, it's this outside of the boot diagonal ball on Rodrigo's feet instead of the easy pass in front of him. I, I really, and then the Bernabeu goes insane. I, I really feel like that actually is something, there's something there that, you just can't describe, or you, but you just sense it. You sense that there's there's something. It's hard to play against that kind of, you know, brilliance, talent, whatever. Um, as I've been learning more about the human body, um, it's really helped me in sports because it's helped me understand the dynamic between coach, player, 
and behavior on the field. And one of the most interesting things is that, um, you know, um, at least from what I'm understanding. So we, uh, when we make decisions, we have several layers to our brains. And so we have our mind, which actually takes 30 seconds plus to process something and really think it through. Um, you know, it's mostly about logic. Then you have your instincts, which is like your flight, fight or flight, which, you know, responds instantly. And, um, I'd say actually, no, the th first 30 seconds is still more of your initial impression, like your gut impression. And then your mind kicks in as you get longer. So really on the pitch, um, when you allow your players to use their instincts more and more, it should lead to actually drastically different outcomes than if you were to restrict them, as we saw with Zidane and Ancelotti. And I think that's why, um, really what I'm saying is, I think this season has almost permanently made me believe that there is no one specific way where you want to win in football. Even though Klopp and Guardiola's approaches will always be most more useful for league titles, I think um, this season just makes me double down on how players are going to be more unpredictable if they're left to their own faculties. Um, you know, especially, yeah, they're going to see a pass that seems unbelievable and they're going to go for it because then it's just their instincts, their intuitions. And those things are really hard to coach. And even Guardiola actually knows this. He always says, um, specifically, I pick up guys who can dribble already because you can't really teach them that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really what's my point. Yeah. And from a player and going on the perspective of uh, player development, I mean, uh, Ancelotti doing this more open approach is likely a big re a big reason why Vinicius exploded this season. Like maybe he couldn't do it in the more structured approach of Zidane that constrained players a bit more. It was a team that defended better, that played out of the back better, but maybe it didn't, maybe the players didn't have enough freedom to do what they wanted in the attack. Now they do. And that led, and that led uh, Vinicius to run them up this season. So again, so those are, Those are the interesting things uh, where it's not about saying that one approach is better than the other. It's simply there are just different ways uh, to win games. Again, Zidane has his, had his way to win games. Ancelotti now has his way of winning games. And yeah, um, I, I, maybe. And it's all like it's so it's always hard to say is like what's the best because sometimes so many things could have changed. Maybe this approach from Ancelotti would have been useless had we had more problems with injuries, for example. In the end, uh, for example, the rotation, the, the lack of rotations at some point, Ancelotti wanted to do this because he wanted to play the same 11 so that he could rack up more points differences with his opponents and everything. It had a reason of, there was a reason for doing that, but what if it didn't have like what if it hadn't worked out what if there were a number of major injuries because of that and Ancelotti then couldn't figure out what to do uh uh without his preferred 11 uh that in that case the approach wouldn't have worked out so in the end yeah it's it just goes back to, uh, to what we always say that it's just hard to pin down like there's no single way of winning and in the end coaches just stick to what they think is the best way of winning and then you try to do your best within that framework and yeah. And this year, uh, Ancelotti's framework is working really well. So. Great point. And look, I mean, if it's the margin of error in games like this, I mean, we're talking about like, what if Courtois doesn't save Messi's penalty all the way back in the first leg of that PSG game, do PSG get momentum and score three goals against us in the first leg, you know, and, and also like the, 
great points about like what if Ancelotti like for example didn't have Benzema God forbid I, you know would he be playing a different style of football those I go back to the, those tatters against Chelsea really were insanely difficult the way he redirected those on the fly I mean that I mean that's just unbelievable to have that kind of talent to be able to do that for you um yeah it's it's incredible yeah I mean watching Benzema right now um yeah, I mean, it, it does come down to the players. I think, um, like, Ancelotti's approach wouldn't work at a team that did not stockpile talent of this caliber. <laughs> so, sure. you know, um, Benzema especially, you know, like, watching his finishes now, yeah, you almost have to expect it because, you know, the thing is, as a competitor, I think two things stand out to me when you're on the pitch as a player that, that you can't control as a coach. Um, and this is going to sound really cliché, but one of them is how badly you want it. And how badly you want it is not just psychological. It's a result of how you prepare. And as we talked about a little last pod, and the way Benzema prepares, like when he comes after you and hunts the ball and goes to score it, like his execution is crazy. You, As a defender, you have to be scared if you want to have a chance of stopping him. You need that appropriate fear. And it's because, you know, as we've like, like the last, it's crazy, but these finishes keep getting better. It's like he's, literally learning from each one and getting better is what it feels like watching him in real time. And unless he does something that's bad for him or gets unlucky, I don't see why he wouldn't be in even better like shape this game, you know, than the last one. It's what it feels like every game. And um, yeah, by playing the team together, one of the main things that's changed is that they seem to have built a like unique understanding of how to get through games as the season has gone on, um, which disappears when they don't have the best player in the world, as we saw against Barcelona. But um yeah, I, I think that um, it will be fascinating. To, it's fascinating to observe how when you have this caliber of talent in front of goal, it's smarter to employ, actually try and empower them than to impose your ideas. Um, this is actually why I thought Ernesto Valverde did a good job at Barcelona because he did the same thing with Messi, Suarez, Ter Stegen. I thought he prolonged their lifespan by playing to their strengths than by um, trying to make them play the Barcelona way. It's to the point now, like you brought the Benzema running at you know, defenders thing. It's to the point now where when I see Benzema sprinting towards the goalkeeper, I literally stand up out of my seat in anticipation of something happening. And he had a couple of those against City in, in the first, like where it wasn't quite to that effect. Uh, but no, there there actually was one sequence where didn't we almost score? It was, we hit it was the offside we hit the or something. Yeah, I cracked up. It's like the first time anything happens. It's like he just pressed him, and it just was a ricochet off his foot, and right. it almost went into the goal. And I'm like, wow, this everything this guy touches turns to gold. And that's just what happens when you are, like, so locked in. And he is locked in in a way that, like, few players I've ever observed in sports are, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was incredible. I, I, I think, I, I, for some reason, I think it wouldn't have counted. I can't remember exactly what the problem with it was. But, um, I, and I don't remember, was it John Stones or was it somebody else on that? Or was Somebody it was offside. Somebody was offside, but even it was just still so funny to watch the ball like go towards the goal as soon as it bounced yeah. off Benzema. It was just like classic Benzema sorcery. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've exhausted this game. Um, now we just wait and see, and we will probably dissect a second leg. That I mean, actually, I think we covered all of our bases to be honest. But you know, there's definitely room for something happening in that second leg. We just haven't foreseen some kind of weird stuff that happens that. We'll break down after the fact, but um, uh, one question. Uh, um, so, how much do you think the second leg should affect the way we view Ancelotti and the team going to next season? Because for me, we've seen enough where you add Mbappe and run it back. But if he puts out the wrong lineup and gets cooked, 
you all of a sudden want to fire him. I think that's a, something very, very interesting. Like, I think the second leg is honestly going to affect the way we view next season too much because we're up against a great coach. You know, we have great players, but the margins are so slim thin. Um, just something interesting to think about because, you know, none of us can really predict this result. And I think, you know, it shouldn't really matter that much. But, um, you know, there's going to be a big, you know, if we make the final, there might be overreaction towards how good our approach is and vice versa. Jose, you want to tackle this first? I don't think it's going to change that much. I think at this point, Ancelotti already earned his next season. Um, I don't th- like, I think at this point he has enough backing to, uh, be- because uh, uh, the excuse will be, okay, uh, we got to semifinals and we don't even have Mbappé in the squad. So uh, Mbappé <clears throat> and Rudy get in the squad. So uh, I think he's, uh, he's earned another season and just seeing what happens uh, if Real Madrid's strengthens their squad even further uh and we'll see how the approach changes next year but i don't think the the match on wednesday will change uh that much it might change a bit how fans view it uh but i don't think at least for the management i don't think it's going to change much what they do uh what they do with ancelotti unless like unless you had like a complete like i don't know like a four nil routing from city I think that's the only way that anyone could reconsider uh, could reconsider Ancelotti at the moment. And yeah, I don't know if I if I go into predictions like the the score my mind keeps getting into is like it's gonna be four two for two Real Madrid. It's gonna be a game like that. That's exactly what my prediction is by the way four two for Real Madrid. <laughs> Just through somehow some way, and I think yes. the XG chart will be like. 10 to 1 for a city <laughs> but we'll find a way we'll find a way but I, yeah i mean look i think it would take like an actual bloodbath of like five or six goals a rinsing completely for this for city for college to be considered now to be sacked because to if you ask me the season is a success i mean if you if it's you told success. us before the season la liga champions with four games to go plus back to back this is another back to back like consecutive champions semi-final appearance which is what's happened obviously the second one the first one wasn't under carlo but you know like the fact that we got the semi-finals again and won the league with this much in advance without knowing anything else i'd be like that's a success yeah um obviously i i do always find it funny how things work like this because let's say if we lose a city and it's bad and it's not and we just have you know we didn't play well at all. It wasn't like a feel-good loss. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like, oh, we're proud of the team. At least they fought till the end. It was, it's just like a bloodbath. But let's say if we had faced this city team in the, in the round of 16 and it would have happened then instead of now, how that would have just changed everything, you know? And just by the luck of the draw, I guess we didn't face them until now. Uh, you know, if, we, if this tie was just put into a time machine and put in the round of 16 and that was our path, then Ancelotti probably would have been considered um as a, to be sacked much sooner right uh, but that's just how football works i guess and um yeah i mean to answer your the, oh the other thing i wanted to say is that if you add mbappe and rudiger to this squad to me it's an instant contender to this current squad that exists right now you add mbappe plus rudiger it's a contender and that I think this team right now even itself is a contender because it has a lot of individual brilliance, right? But even if you if you add them to the this squad, it's a great squad. Um, anyways, my point in saying that is, I think that just gives Ancelotti more a more of an excuse and Real Madrid more of an excuse to have less tactics next season because 
now you just have more superstar power to f- make things work, right? So I, I think if, if anything, yeah. like I think if it's it's a different discussion. If let's say you next season you don't get Mbappe and you're losing him and you're losing Benzema for for whatever reason, and now you just have all of a sudden a bunch of young players left. Maybe in that sense you want to change direction with your coach. But if you're adding Mbappe to this squad, I think it's more of an excuse to have Ancelotti next season, right, to manage uh-huh. it all. Agreed. And then tune him any as well, and maybe right back, and then we'd be living. Let's not let's not dream too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you had Chua many plus a right back, I mean, if you had Chua many and Reese James, I mean, I don't, I almost would feel bad. I I feel like we should just shut it down. But obviously, the, I guess the bright side Jesus. of football is also the fact that football also does it doesn't work that way, right? You can yeah. have a superstar perfect team and and it just may may not work for whatever reason. We've seen it in, over the course of many sports over the course of many years, so who knows, but but we do know football works with Real Madrid signing all the stars. So, we know that it does work that way. And yeah. um, I'm excited. Reese James would be a dream come true, but um it's not happening, yeah, yeah. but uh, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, Ch- the Ch- there's no reason for Chelsea and Reese James to split. I mean, I I admire the fact that if if we're trying to sign them, I think that's the right approach. We should try. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. But um, yeah. and, and listen, this to be fair with the superstar signings, every time Rams have gone in the direction of superstar, an era of just like one summer of injection of superstars, we at least now, fast forward to 2022, I feel like at least now we've been able to have a better balance overall in the squad as opposed to we did 20 years ago. So we've been able to figure some things out with this star building squads. At least we have... We have a better defensive line now. We have better midfielders now than we did when we were doing it 20 years ago. So, Incidentally, we learned a lot of that from when Ancelotti last got fired because he had no... De- and honestly, it was because there was no squad debt that season. And then yep. the Benitez first season, I felt finally the team realized you need to develop younger guys and sign prospects and mm-hmm. to bring in bench pieces. And ever since then, yeah, I think they've done a good job trying to keep the squad deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, now I think we can wrap it up because I want to get some food and Me too. edit this podcast. <laughs> All right. I'm speaking for everyone here. All right, guys. Enjoy the game on Wednesday and uh, look forward to reconnecting. We should do this more often. Um, we should, you know, not have to wait for an excuse for a big game. Let's uh, let's keep these podcasts going on a regular basis. Thanks for your time, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for thanks for having me, Kian. And yeah, at some point we can get to discuss how we want to. Uh, what we want to add to to the team in the summer that would be a fun one like just think about those kinds of things so i look forward to future podcasts me too i'd I'd love to slowly start hopping on more i'm trying to um you know i I love podcasting with and i love podcasting with jose it's a lot of fun so yeah totally thanks for having me